Well, good morning, everyone. If you have not had a chance to meet me yet, I'm, my name is Brian Cobley. I'm the family ministry director here, which means I oversee birth through 18-year-olds at this church, which I absolutely love. And this morning, we get to continue our series that we call The Life and Way of Jesus, a, a series in the book of Mark, where we're studying who Jesus is, what he did, and how we as disciples can learn from him and just continue in our transforming life as disciples of Jesus. Now this morning, we're going to be looking at the beginning of Mark chapter 6, which when I read it, the word that just keeps popping up to me that I hope you see this morning is a word, trust. Trust. I see, I, I, I think this morning we're going to be looking at how people had trust in Jesus, but it wasn't just trust in Jesus. It was actually trusting Jesus, which I think there is a difference there. Because trust, it's, it's trusting that everything will be taken care of, even in the face of life's difficulties, and you believe that things are going to be okay. When things get challenging, when things get tough, you have trust that everything is going to be taken care of. So I want to ask you guys a question. Like, Do you recall the moment in your life where you kind of took that first step in something? Whether it was you started your own business and you had that, the nerves, the excitement of, of, I'm doing this, I'm excited, but am I ready? Or maybe your first job, like as going into your adulthood, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm starting a new job again. Did, did I, was I prepared for this? And a big one, the, when you moved out for the first time. And I want to tell you my story of the first time that I moved out. Because when I was 18 years old, I thought I was ready. Like, completely thought I was ready. I was ready to, to leave the coop. I think my parents prepared me enough. It was a lot of what not to do of better than what to do. But I was ready. But I had my moment of, hmm, was this the smartest choice? And here's what happened. I went shopping. I had to go, I had to go grocery shopping, but I needed one specific item. It was toilet paper. And I, when I walked to that store, I knew what I was going to going to get. I was conditioned my whole life. I knew that the bears had me. The bears. <laughs> now, I was conditioned. Those commercials told me that when I, when I needed to go, they had me. The gentleness, the softness that you just wanted to rub on your cheek. These bears, they, they were there for me. But what the bears did not have for me was my finances. I walked, guys, I walked into that grocery store, went to the toilet paper section, actually, like, going to aisle 16 trying to find it, and when I looked at that price, I was completely shocked. <laughs> when I was like, Charmin is this much? So much, guys, that I had to call my mom to ask for a loan. Just kidding. But no, I had to call my mom and process with her, because I'm like, Mom, do you realize how much Charmin is? My mom laughed at me. <laughs> like, absolutely laughed at me. Maybe you as a parent would do the same thing. But I'm like, no, I'm not kidding, Mom. I'm like, this, who can afford Charmin right now? And so I'm like contemplating. I'm like, Mom, what do I get? Like, what's single ply? What's two ply? Which ones? And what's, what do I want? And I'm like, I, I'm, 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 I can't get the bears. So like, this duck, is this duck good? Um, and I, I truly, I cannot remember what I walked out with, but it wasn't Charmin. And it was probably, it was the cheapest thing that had an animal that was probably not recognizable or a name that we would never be able to pronounce. But if you know me, I overthought this process a lot. That when I was on my drive home, I'm like, can I do this? Like, if toilet paper is this much, what else is out there? What else have I, have I 
followed a lie to, which is everything because generic brands don't have commercials. And so I'm like freaking out, guys. Like I'm like, by the time I got to my apartment, I've already planned the speech that I was going to tell my parents of like, hey, I know you might have been excited that I finally left. However, I need to come back. <laughs> Toilet paper's too much. I'm sorry I took advantage of the unlimited role that you provided for me. But like just freaking out until I get home. When I get to my apartment, right at my front door were those bears. My mom. (laughs) And so in that moment, as much as I was freaking out, I realized that no matter what happens, I have people that are going to take care of me. Like if things get tough, there are people. I do have a community that will help me. And this morning, I want to share that with you that all of us in this room, we have the person who would take care of us in those moments. My mom. Just kidding. (laughs) That we have Jesus. That in those moments when life gets difficult, that we can trust that everything is going to be okay. That we have who we need. And we can trust him. Because life can be difficult. It can be challenging to have trust. That trust that everything is going to be okay. And maybe you this morning, that's where you're feeling. Like Like you came in here and things are challenging for you right now. It could be with your finances, it could be with your relationships, your employment, or just everyday life. That is is a struggle, it is a challenge, and you just, you don't know how you're going to make it. The text that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see trust. We're going to see people who may or may not put their trust in Jesus. We're going to see Jesus putting his trust in the 12, and then we're going to see what the disciples do with that. So... To give you context, Jesus' ministry, where we're at in chapter 6, it has had some really good highs and some really bad lows. If you've been following us through this, up to this point, Jesus has had opposition. Opposition from the Pharisees and the scribes who have called his miracles and his works, works of Satan. We've seen his family want to capture him, seize him, tie him up because they think that he's out of his mind. But we've also seen some amazing moments, amazing moments of faith. We've seen large crowds gathering to him just to hear his teaching because the teaching was so different. We've seen family and loved ones bring their, their, their family and loved ones to him for a healing. We even uh, heard the moment of the woman who had an ailment for 12 years of her life say that all I have to do is touch his garment and I'll be healed. Such faith. And then a leader of the synagogue going to Jesus to heal his 12-year-old daughter. So amazing moments. So where we're at now in Mark 6 is Jesus is going to return home. And what we're going to see is he didn't get the welcoming that you would think you would get if you went back home to your people. So if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to Mark 6, 1 through 6. And like always with Mark, let's stand up for the word of God. If you guys are able. Mark writes, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? 
the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here among us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives and his own household. And he can do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. You guys can have a seat. So in the previous events, Mark gives us some, like three positive reactions to Jesus. The demon-possessed man that he was able to heal. Um, then uh, we see Jairus. And then the woman again who touched his garment. All in the posture of worship. Ready to really accept who he is, who he says he is. But now he travels to his hometown. And we see a completely different response to him. But I do want to point this out. At first, it seems like it's going to go really well. They are asking the correct questions. They say, it says they were astonished, asking, where did this man get his things? Or these things? Where, where, what wisdom is this? And how are such workings done by his hands? Arbor, those are great questions. The right questions to ask as Jesus is doing this. And if they did their work, if they really walked down that line to discover those answers, they would have discovered who Jesus is. Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, the Son of God. And it would have led them down the path of salvation. But that is not what happened. Something else turned from them. It takes a turn. See, their hearing of Jesus is matched with their failure to perceive. And what happened is they were too familiar with who Jesus was And they knew him as just a common laborer, as a carpenter. And it prevented them from recognizing him as who he is, the son of God. They ask, is this not a carpenter? Is this not the son of Mary? We know his brothers, names all of his brothers, says his sisters, doesn't name them, jerks. And it says they took offense to him. They took offense to Jesus because they knew him as a laborer's son, not a teacher. Not even somebody who was training to be a teacher, a rabbi. So when this common man, according to them, was teaching, who had no authority to be teaching, that they took offense to it. When he is teaching with authority, it took offense. Now, this, this word in the original Greek means, taking offense, means that Jesus became a stumbling block. The cornerstone became a stumbling block. To these people. That's what Peter and Acts, after um, he's speaking to rulers in Jerusalem, and this is after the ascension of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. He says this He says, Let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The cornerstone was a stumbling block for them. And then Jesus, knowing this, then quotes a known proverb at the time, says a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and his own household. And we read that Jesus was astonished by their unbelief, by their lack of faith in him, which I have to believe has to hurt the, the, the human side of Jesus. I mean, we see that they are able to remember his profession, his dad, his mom, his brothers, the unnamed sisters, which tells me that Jesus also knew their names. 
He also knew their profession. Their unnamed sisters. But Jesus would name them. <laughs> but he, he knew all of them to be rejected by the people that are close to you. I mean, Jesus grew up with these people. When they would travel to Jerusalem for the big events, it was this crowd. When Jesus was 12 years old, left at the temple, and everyone was searching for him, these people were most likely searching for Jesus. And so when he's going home, probably ready to give them the greatest gift, like, hey, guys, on the road, I've been traveling. I have a gift for you, salvation. They all rejected it. And it says that Jesus was astonished. But we see something else. It says that as, as they rejected him and Jesus was astonished, it says that their unbelief had an effect on the ministry. Their unbelief prevented Jesus from doing mighty works there, except the few people that he was able to heal. Their unbelief had an impact on what Jesus could do. In Gomez's commentary, he puts it this way. He says, in some way, the power and presence of the kingdom is affected by human faith. Now, I want to be careful here because I know some of you are probably a little uncomfortable because you might have heard or been hurt by somebody saying, hey, like God wants you to be healed or wants your family member to be healed. But if you have just a little bit of doubt, it's not going to happen. That's not what's happening here. I want you to hear that. This isn't just doubt. This is a full rejection by a whole group of people. And it says because of this rejection, mighty works cannot be done. And we see this in, in other forms of scripture. See, the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 10, he saw the glory of God depart from the temple and from Jerusalem because of the unfaithfulness of God's people. And in the book of Revelation written by John, Jesus warns the church of Ephesus that if they do not repent from their complacency, that the spirit of Jesus will depart from them. Revelation 2.5. So we see it in Scripture. There is a correlation between the presence and power of God and the receptive faith of his people. And here, their rejection in his hometown is having an effect on the ministry. Except for a few people who did actually listen to Jesus. So says he can do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. There are those who do still believe, who still put their trust in them. Now, I guess it says that he couldn't do a mighty works, but I believe those who got those healings, it felt pretty mighty to them. But Jesus, we do see it. It's not a complete rejection. There are still a few. And when you read scripture, you know a few still means a lot to Christ. So now, it's evident that there's trust. There's trust in Jesus. But there's evident there's also a lack of trust. So now we need, I want to transition to the next part of the scripture. Because now... Jesus puts his trust in the 12. And we're going to see what happens with that. Jesus is now trusting the 12 to do something great. He is going to call them. He's going to put them in groups of two. And he's going to send them out to share and do exactly what they have witnessed Jesus do. Now, this is a moment that can be exciting. It's a moment that can be terrifying. But this is like if you guys had an internship year or just a, an example of a profession that you want to do. This is like the, am I ready for this? And when we read this, I, I do want us to realize that what they did 
is going to be their future after the ascension. So this is really a taste of the ministry to come. And honestly, our ministry today. So let's read it. In Mark 6, 7 through 13, it says, He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits, but he charged them to take nothing for the journey except for a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out, and they, re- and they proclaimed people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with, min- anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Again, Aubrey, what a what a big moment for the disciples and for for Jesus, it is a moment of trust. Jesus trusting the 12 that they can do this, that they can go out and teach, they can heal, they can listen to what he's saying, that they can be a good representative of him to the world. Moment of trust for Jesus. I'm sending the 12 out. And I got it. I mean, if you guys think about it, if that was me, I would be terrified. <laughs> be like, hold on, Jesus, let's, let's talk about this. Because at this, up to this point, they've had, like, Jesus' protection in front of them. Like, if he said something crazy, they'd be like, yeah, that's him. Let me just take one step backwards. I support you, Jesus. I got your back, but really, I'm just going to be by your back. But Jesus is trusting them, trusting that they will do great. But you see, the trust also goes the other way because the disciples are trusting that they're going to be okay, that they can do this. That what they've witnessed from Jesus, they are actually able to do themselves based upon his leadership and his teaching. So again, to ask you guys, in your profession, can you recall the first day on your own? Was it terrifying? Did you have a, man, can I do this moment? Did you have that moment of like, did I choose the right profession? Because I'm about to find out. If you guys, uh, man, I would love to get coffee with you. Uh, when I graduated high school, my first like, full-time job was a CNA working in a nursing home. And when you, were, when you do that, you have a few weeks of like, shadowing somebody so like, you can learn. And I remember the first day that they, they put me, I'm like, yes, I'm ready for this. I'm so ready for this. I show up to work. I'm like, okay, I have 14 people I have to take care of. I've never taken care of one person in my life. But I got, I got these 14 people today. Guys, that story went horrible. It was the worst day ever. And I, I can't go into the details. It's a little too graphic. But it got me suspended. It was that bad of a day. It got me suspended. Not for anything I did wrong. I just want you to know that. Like, again, let's get coffee so I can, like, clear my name here. But it was after that, I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I, I, I want to quit so bad. And also, you know, being suspended is a little embarrassing, too. So... It really made me question everything about myself. The disciples in this moment, they're trusting that they're going to be okay, that they have this, that they can trust that Jesus is going to protect them, their spirit is going to lead them. Because they have, the, 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 what Jesus told them to do, they have nothing, nothing to, the, the, that would make any sense to anybody. See, Jesus says they're to go with a staff and sandals and what they're wearing. But they're not, they're, they can't bring food. They can't bring a bag, which I believe, so they're not tempted to like, like start gathering things or hoarding things so they can uh, keep this, 
journey going and have no money. But not just that. Jesus says that whenever they're accepted into somebody's home, they must stay there until they leave the area. Now, what I believe in this is I think Jesus is preventing them from trying to upgrade. So as, like, honestly, he's telling them, when you get a house, stay there. Don't be tempted to find a better place to stay, a better place to sleep. This person accepted you. Be there with them. Be content in what's happening right now in this ministry. Because, I mean, I could assume there might be some people like, no, that bed looks way more comfortable. But Jesus is telling them, stay there. So there's rules. Rules about being, rules of uh, helping them fully trust in Jesus. A demonstration of commitment is like, uh, can be their testimony of their devotion to Jesus, not just to themselves. And then he teaches them what to do if they even get rejected, like Jesus got rejected by his household, by the people in the garrisons after he healed the demonic man and Jesus destroyed a whole profession of tending pigs. But they now need to trust even in the face of rejection. Can they do it? And they did it. Mark says that they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they were able to cast out many demons and anoint with oil. We see this trust. Trust that people have put in Jesus. Trust that Jesus has put in his people. And his people trusting him. Arbor, I would say the majority of you in this room have put your trust in Jesus. I would say the majority of you in this room have proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the road to salvation for not just you, but your household, your close ones, your friends, your family. I believe majority of you in this room have put your trust in Jesus. But my question for you is, are you trusting him? because I do believe that there's a big difference between those two. You have put your trust in Jesus, but are you trusting him? Trusting him that everything will be taken care of, even in the face of life's difficulties. See, the disciples in the story, they put their trust in Jesus. They put their trust in a situation, and I mean, Jesus puts them in a situation where they have to trust him or get out. They have to go and proclaim him as the Messiah and take nothing with them, which... If you guys really put yourselves in their sandals, that's terrifying, completely stressful. And they, have, they, have, they go without any plans, so no itinerary. So if you're like me, where before you go to anywhere for the first time on vacation, you map out everything that you're going to do. They can go with no plan except for what town that they're going into. They can't take anything with them. They're not allowed to bring any money as like a backup plan. Like, hey, if nobody takes care of us, hey, we have money, we can just go get a hotel somewhere. They have to completely trust that Jesus is going to take care of them, even in the difficulties. And I have to admit, I have to, I have to believe that to the outside world, this must have looked wild. Because, I mean, if they were seeing these, these two people going to these towns, proclaiming Jesus, and seeing how it's going, like, okay, wait, you have nothing with you? And you want me to believe in Jesus? Like to them, I could see the pressure of people like, hey, this, this makes no sense. But they were still able to proclaim the name of Jesus in it because they knew, they put their trust in him and they were trusting him that it was going to be okay. 
So, Arbor, I want to ask you again, are you trusting him? Are you trusting him with your life difficulties? Are you trusting him with, with your finances? Are you trusting him with your, with your debt? Are you trusting him with your relationships, with your marriages? Marriage. Are you trusting him? <laughs> you get it. Are you trusting him with your jobs? Are you trusting him with your employment or un? Or do you find yourself trying to fix it or control it or use your own ability to get yourself out of these situations? You could be saying, Jesus, I want to I give generously. I, I want to, but I have this debt and I need to take care of it first. If I become debt-free, then I can give. But church, I want to tell you, if you can trust them being debt-free, you can trust them with your debt. In your relationships or your marriage, are you trusting him? Or are you trying to fix things on your own, making your own decisions in this? Kind of going with your own wants. With your jobs, are you trusting them with it all? Or again, are you trying to control it and trying to move up on your own? Or are you kind of force a situation in a job to get a better situation? Are you trusting him? Now, here's the question. You could be asking me, how do I know? I believe I'm trusting him, but how do I know? You know that in your life difficulties, you are still ushering the kingdom of God. That's how you know. If you're trusting in him, in that subject, whatever it is, are you still ushering the kingdom of God? Again, the disciples had nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it could look from the outside world that this is terrible. How are they able to do this? But with nothing, they were proclaiming Jesus and bringing other people to Jesus. With your money, are you still ushering the kingdom of God? With your generosity, are you ushering the kingdom of God? In your relationships, in your marriage, are you ushering the kingdom of God in it? With your employment, or un, do you still usher the kingdom of God? Are you still proclaiming his name? Are you still doing your best in bringing people to Christ? That's how you know that you're trusting Jesus, that you're trusting Jesus with whatever it is that has caused such a challenge in your life. Church, you may not be able to get Charmin, like me. It has not changed. <laughs> but have you noticed that you still have toilet paper? Terrible metaphor for, you know, the things in your life. <laughs> but have you noticed that no matter what, you're still taken care of? We have him. We have what we need. And we can not only put our trust in him, but we can trust him. Trust him with all of life difficulties and usher in the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me? Jesus, why is it so difficult trusting you? I mean, I know we see wonderful, we see wonderful events in other people's lives. We read in your scriptures the amount of trust that people have in you and Lord, there's even been moments in our life where we've done such a good job with it, but 
She says, as you know, life happens. The challenges happens. The fear happens. And it just shakes us up. Spirit, help us. Guide us to keep having that trust. Jesus, I, I pray that you can give us your eyes, your eyes to see the past, to remember how much you have us in your hands, how much you have taken care of us and those that we love. Jesus, remind us so we don't lose that. That when money gets scary, when relationships get scary, when life gets scary, that your light guides us through it. That we don't lose that trust and our actions don't lose that trust. Lord, we trust you, but help us to trust you. Amen.